This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. And on this series, we speak to technology founders, executives, and leaders from the world of InsureTech. And today I'm very lucky and very excited to be joined by the CTO of our Miller Assurance and Dan Adamson. Dan, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, Kevin, for having me here. No, no, no problem. It's great to have you on. Um, we were fortunate enough to meet uh, yourself and uh, Karthik at uh, the Lloyd's uh, pitch day. And, um, you know, we've been, I know we've had Karthik on the original series, but I've been uh, super keen to have you on the tech series and pestering you for a number of months. So I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. The, uh, yeah, the, the Lloyd's, uh, the whole Lloyd's experience was was awesome and uh right up to the end to the to the pitch day uh all the way through we had some great great uh mentors and it was uh you know quite the experience for us so uh this is a great follow-up to that mm. yeah we'll definitely get into it i'm always keen we don't have we, we we tend to get a lot of people that were on the program throughout the years alex has on the original series um, but I'm always just kind of keen to get that experience and perspective on, especially after it's done, about how you felt it was on hindsight. Um, but uh, we'll get into that in, in a little bit later on. But always a nice place to start. Um, I think your background on an original call, I felt like was really interesting. And I just wanted to kind of start this off by you giving a little bit about that background, you know, how you got into tech specifically, you know, you're very immersed in AI and cognitive computing and also what your journey has been like and I guess how you ended up in the, the world of insure tech. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was lucky. I was in Silicon Valley and met and uh, joined uh, one of my early mentors, uh, Alan Rappaport, who was doing a startup, an AI startup, uh, which was rare back then, um, but he was an ex-CMU professor, had done done AI, and and uh, we did an AI startup for vertical search uh, in medical, uh, in the medical domain, and it ended up getting sold to Microsoft. Um, I then helped, uh, we helped on a bunch of initiatives there, but but uh, including Bing, and it was a lot of fun. Um, this was. Uh, stuff going out to consumers we could sort of a b test things on the fly there was there was a lot of freedom to operate and innovate there and uh went from that to uh build a startup in toronto called outside iq where where i founded that and we worked on the tech for a number of years around uh due diligence using ai 
and it was ultimately successful, but, but a very, a very tough, tough road. It was like uh, pushing rope uphill. Um, we would go to banks and financial institutions, uh, insurance companies, and they'd have to validate this AI. And they found it was really tricky to validate. This was you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now. A lot of them asked for, for example, our rules. Uh, you know, give us your decision tree, and and we'll go to reproduce that and make sure it's working how you say it's working. And we tried to explain to them that there's there's no rules in this thing, right? You can't do that. And uh, so there was a lot of of educating and, and back and forth and, and how to test these systems properly. And there was a lot of lack of trust. So so we learned early on that there's this lack of trust around AI systems, and rightfully so. But that's that's compounded by the lack of ability to really test and understand these systems. And uh, so we worked with worked with those teams. We worked with regulators to try to get to, to some understanding. That's evolved to come a long way, but we realized there's this lack of, of technology and how you, you look at AI risks and systems and how you quantify AI. And so that's that was the basis of of our Milla, uh, we focused on the tech, and and uh, we've had, you know, we've we've had this this weird dichotomy of of work that's very technical around how do you look at robustness of of these systems, how do you look for bias, how do you look for not just bias overall, but there might be these hidden pockets of bias that might be very bad, and and the, the approaches need to to evolve to be able to do that, let alone how how do you then quantify how bad that is, right? And and so that's been a lot of fun work, um, and, and I've been blessed to, to, to go through those various stages and and work on on those problems. Mm, thank you. And and because I introduced you as CTO of Armilla Assurance, but of course that's kind of part of the wider Armilla Group and the original company being Armilla AI that you were on the Lloyd's Accelerator with. So, you know, you've probably kind of given you've gave us an insight there. But I guess it'd be great to hear about that journey. You know, the the, the original Armilla AI mission vision and how that's then spun out into Armilla Assurance. Yeah, um, we started to develop this technology and uh, around how you evaluate these models, and thought originally that uh, that data scientist teams would use this technology internally and uh, be able to report and have a governance layer on top, and and the industry might get to that point, but that that governance today is somewhat immature and the data scientist teams prefer to sort of ad hoc do their own testing. Um, there's a lot of open source tools that they can use to do this. Um, the field is evolving very quickly. And we found that that there's this split in terms of roles and responsibilities emerging in the industry. And I think Armilla and the, the spinoff uh, to, and we'll talk about Armilla Assurance in a bit, but uh, that 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 core work went in two directions. One is to say, okay, 
can we take that and actually go a step further and, and start to make these systems more robust and actually make use that testing in a feedback loop? And so a lot of the work with Armella AI has turned into to work around generative AI and, and making it more robust. And that's either through fine tuning, that's through obviously testing, that's through also putting guardrails on top of it so that the end result is safe. Um, that's that's emerged as what Armilla AI's focus is, and it's it's really around generative AI and uh, not just testing it, but making it more robust. And, and we can talk more about generative AI systems. But when we first started to test these systems, hmm. we found a sea of red on any dimension that we would test. When we looked at at generative AI for for bias, right? Um, we found that it actually exacerbated biases, like made them worse, uh, worse than you would think based on the content it was trained on. Um, both like text to image examples, a lot of LLMs that were pure text based, they have to make a decision. And so mm -hmm. if you take, um, for example, if you take a leading sentence in an LLM and ask it to finish something very simple, like uh, the CEO was late because it would 99 times or 100 times out of 100 uh, assume it was a male and follow the sentence, you know, finish the sentence with he because, you know, so the CEO was late because he was out sailing or he was stuck in traffic, right? Mm -hmm. All these great things, reasons why they could be late, but always a he. And, you know, looking at that, we said, okay, well, that that's a challenge, right? It has to decide between he and she, and it's it's picking he depending on the temperature and, and the rest of it. But mostly, you know, enterprises are, are putting temperature very low and, and, and they pick pick the safest thing because they're, they're trying to eliminate hallucinations. So, uh, so, so, you know, even something simple like that is problematic. And even the solution to that is problematic. Um, if you asked uh, someone in one generation, they say, might say, well, the proper behavior there is to 50% of the time say he, 50% of the time say she, right? Um, and then if you asked my son and younger generation, you'd say, well, that's that's wrong 100% of the time too. If, if it's uh, ambiguous, the, the sentence coming in, then it should be a they, a, a gender neutral pronoun. So, um, you know, so, so it's not a simple problem uh, you know, even you take that trivial example, it's, it turns out to not be a simple problem in how you solve for these things and how then we believe that, that, that should be to a degree within bounds, obviously, um, left up to the whole, up to the enterprise that's using the model. How do they want it to respond? And so Armilla AI is about, um, giving that power to the enterprises to to create their models how they want to create them fine tune them how they want to fine tune them and 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 protect them how they want to protect them and so that's that's going very well it's very interesting work uh, but we found on the other hand that there is this market for assessing models and doing that independently um, there's a lot of advantages to that, especially in a vendor enterprise relationship where a vendor selling an AI model, there's a lack of trust. Um, by having a third-party assessment, it can be very efficient. Um, we can go in with our technology and let the vendor keep their model 
proprietary to them. We don't need to have access, direct access to the model. We don't need to have direct access to their data. They can run this locally and then just ship us the results. And so there's this third party aspect to it that enables trust where their model is not going to get reverse engineered by their client. And we found from that, that we can actually then start to quantify risks with that analysis and offer a, a warranty on top of that and, and ultimately insurance products. And so that was the genesis of Armilla Assurance. And Armilla Assurance um, has started with that warranty product. And we're finding that both vendors love this because it enables them to sell faster, right? They can yeah. use this as a selling tool and say, look, this is trusted and it's trusted at this level. It's a quantifiable metric that they can achieve. And so it gets them in the door faster and then it enables trust for the enterprise as well. They can say, okay, this has been independently assessed and we can trust it to this level. We know it will perform this level. And if it doesn't, there's a, there's a warranty backing it. So the two, the two businesses are both great, but they've gone in different directions. And, um, uh, you know, one is making better models <laughs> and one is, is offering warranties on top of that, mo those models. And it's, a, it's a bit of a conflict. So the two sides are, are moving apart, uh, from that perspective and we have to have walls between them, but, uh, but both are exciting. Yeah. Gosh, it's so interesting. And uh, I think the, the evolution of Armilla and going into Armilla Assurance, I think you articulated it perfectly as to why. Armilla Insurance is now a thing with that, that warranty extension. And as you say, vendors love it, enterprises love it. And um, because it's a whether people, you know, admit it, it's an AI arms race at the moment and it's very difficult to decide who who has the best product and who has the best product for, for fit for purpose for that specific enterprise business. Um and and it makes so much sense when when you think about Armilla assessing um when you think about the insurance industry's reticence for adopting AI and adopting technology, some, you know, Armilla coming in and, and being able to assess that robustness, assess that ability to do things in a fair and quantifiable way, you can, it's quite clear to see why the insurance industry has has really been such a, a hit for you guys in terms of the product. Like, is exploring that kind of current state of AI and, and the insurance industry, like, you know, where where do you kind of see it? Where do you see it, it kind of going? We, we know it's got the potential to revolutionize underwriting, claims processing, risk management, but, you know, the, the real double-edged sword is that there is true advantages to AI and insurance, but, you know, what is the what are the risks that, that the insurance industry still is about do you feel reticent or a bit wary of of adopting? Oh yeah, it's it. It's funny. It actually goes back to uh, you know, your some of our original findings when we first started testing these systems, right? So the bias we talked about, you know, big big red mark, unless they they looked at it closely. Uh, yeah. Hallucinations, um, a big risk. These systems are designed to be creative generative by their nature, right? And and so that can be dangerous in in a scenario where you might not want that creativity. You want the production, you, you want, you know, there's, there's some stellar results we're getting even for uh, some of the more quantitative um, use cases here. 
but even taking something like summarizing a claim, it might miss something important and somebody might misinterpret it. Um, so that's mm -hmm. not even hallucinations, right? That's just summarizing maybe with the wrong data. Um, there, there are lots of, of risks. Part of the challenge is that the field is evolving so quickly that it's also very challenging to test this unless it's your full-time job. And a lot of enterprises, insurance companies included, they have you know, this precious, precious, precious resource, data scientists, and they're all working, doing their internal projects and to try to get them to assess all of this new tech all the time is, is very challenging for them and the, it, it, you're resource constrained. Um, so, so it's a fast moving field, you know, there, there's, there are risks, um, hallucinations, right. Is one that the, the, the surface area of attack of some of these systems is so broad, meaning you can ask them to do so many things and ask in so many ways and have conversations with these systems that go in unexpected directions that it becomes very hard to test and evaluate. Um, so, so testing is a real challenge. And, and, and another challenge is um, around the um, performance of these systems that's consistent. And, and so you, you look at fit for purpose applications and you start to fine tune it to that. And then the whole thing might break. You might, you might make some of these systems behave unpredictably in other ways. And you have to go back and, and systematically test that it's working in, in other ways, right? So you you, you make a system that's very fine tuned towards, um, summarizing claims and then biases creep in right or it breaks in that dimension so so there's there's lots of um there's lots of risks there explainability would be the last sort of major piece that i would highlight as as of a risk the, the industry still hasn't come to a good basis of for explainable uh, material i'll call it materially high impact systems um, what's the appropriate level of explainability? These are starting to look like human brains and you can go neuron by neuron and say, did this neuron fire or did this neuron fire? But that's not how you ask uh, a human to explain something, right? A decision that it made. And so we're going to have to come to terms with, okay, what is the appropriate level of explainability? And some of these systems can explain their, their reasoning to a degree. And that, that reasoning, that logic isn't always the best, but there is often that level of explainability and is that sufficient for some of these use cases? For, for others, it might not, right? So you have to superimpose the use case, you have to superimpose some of your norms um, and depending on the use case within insurance, some of these are more applicable uh, and more suitable today. And in the future, that, that range of applications might, might grow. Mm. And, you know, and the whole piece around where insurance is going now and and I guess where the industry is going with technology, AI in particular, you know, that that whole insurance as a service piece, we it's it's clear how it can benefit customers by, you know, taking into uh, account the data, the, the attributes, the the proxies that 
the proxies that lead to them having a better experience. But as you've kind of we're touching on in this in this podcast, you know, where it can also lead to discrimination and, and bias and you guys are, are are rooting that out, you're spotting the errors, but are you are you guys providing the solution and how to fix this as well? Like what it's probably a really big question that you get asked a lot, but what's the what's the answer of rooting out bias, do you think? Or do you you know you yeah. guys do? It, it's it's tough um we do have we do have approaches we have uh, a tool called uh, auto tune that can take some of those biases and try to fine tune against them right so we can actually help prevent those biases or correct them so we can take that system for example that assumes it's a he and train it fine tune it to respond with a they instead and that's um an important step you then have to go back and make sure you haven't impacted the system in some unexpected way that you haven't overtuned that you haven't dumbed down the system um but it is possible to correct some of these things as long as you know where and how to look for it and and, and how to potentially correct it um but it depends on, you know, in that dimension, that's very doable. Um, on the explainability dimension, that's that's tougher. We have uh, the ability now to reference material and cross-check and say, okay, is this is this hallucinating or not? What's our best guess? So depending on the issue, there are potential fixes to that issue. You still have some fundamental issues that you have to be careful of. Uh, dealing with us humans, right? Um, us humans can, these systems can be very convincing and it's very easy to just start to trust them and have that machine bias creep in, whether you're a consumer, right? Even if you make clear, hey, you're chatting with with a chatbot here, it might take that answer and, and have it as definitive. And um, it's representing your company. So you have to be very careful. Right. If you take a, a customer service chatbot that's dealing with a client who's asking about the status of a claim and uh, it hallucinates and says, hey, the claim is through processing and you're going to get your check. <laughs> that's not good if, if it's stuck in the middle of the process. Right. So uh, so you have to you do have to be very careful. Um, the human is going to be overly trusting machine bias is well known. And, and so part of this is not just design of good systems, but also design of good interactions. And, um, you know, another example, uh, a, a fraud investigator, right? Uh, these systems are now being used to uh, look for discrepancies and look for uh, potentially uh, fraudulent issues around claims. And an investigator might get overzealous and or assume or get lazy and, and assume all of these leads are real. And uh, we have to educate our workforces um, and protect against that, right? So, mm -hmm. so you know, the, there's this whole over-reliance of decision assist tools, and this extends beyond generative AI, um, but 
there's this temptation to take decision assist tools and um, overly rely on them where you're not actually doing making much of a decision as a human anymore yourself you're just relying on the the system and and so so yeah it's partly you know how do you test this how do you um, how do you actually deploy deploy these systems what are the risks around each step and that has to be done in a very thoughtful way and and we're doing work with a lot of organizations around their their ray policy their responsible ai policies and updating them for for generative ai um, be, because of that it it really is can be a nuanced problem that you have to to be articulate with and well thought out our our current best practices around this, uh, Gavin, and, and this is important for for all of the um, folks who are more technical here. They'll they'll hopefully agree with me. Um, but we treat this a bit like an onion, and to do this effectively, you need to have controls around every layer of that onion. And by that we mean when you're developing, you have to be cognizant of the risks and you have to develop it in a mature way you have to look at your data and the ownership of that data um, when you test you you have to understand the risks and, and test in a mature way uh, when you validate or approve or you have these checkpoints that has to be done in a mature way you need accountability for every step and when it goes into production likewise you need to to do that in a thoughtful way, uh, your policies need to cover this and you have to have the right controls around every step. And post-production, you have to be able to monitor these systems. And that's hard to do with some of the generative AI systems. Um, you know, if you look at the examples of Bing Chat, which was fun when it first came out, people were having great conversations and then it started to go off the rails, right? And and uh, there was a great article in the, the New York Times with a reporter who sort of pushed this uh, alter ego onto this this chatbot and, and did it intentionally, but the, the chatbot fell into this trap where it, it spiraled out of control and got you know both angry and uh passionate about this user uh saying at one point he should uh divorce his wife and come marry the chatbot i think but uh <laughs> but the, the you know so so that's that's a warning that you know a even microsoft couldn't get this right couldn't predict how it was going to be be used um and and you have to deploy in a, in a thoughtful way mm, yeah well never <clears throat> never heard of that uh that article i never heard that <laughs> it's, it's quite something that because the yeah when i use um elements of ai at the moment and i use ai in, in every day in my work as you know we yes we do podcasts at finpro but we're an executive search so a lot of it comes down to you know the hr element the, the human element and there's a lot of administrative kind of heavy lifting tasks that ai can can help us with you know Obviously, with you guys, I, th I thought it was super interesting about you developing that AI to to root out bias within HR tech and how that maybe falls into to that you know around the ethical aspects of yeah just regarding bias and fairness. But you know, I think what what you're saying there is 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 probably kind of more terrifies me than anything else. <laughs> it sounds more. Sounds more scary than it does optimistic, but I'm 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 more of an optimistic guy. So I mean, I'm, I'm kind of appreciate there's a lot of risks there. Appreciate there's a lot of ways it can go wrong, but 
you must be doing something right because more and more insurance companies and the insurance industry as a whole as a result of not just you of course as other people probably doing this but you're playing a big role in that you know like generative ai pushing the boundaries of every sector but within the insurance and sector where do you think it's got what can we expect in terms of the good stuff not not the stuff where robots are killing humans or whatnot but <laughs> what can we expect in terms of like technology advancements regulatory changes and just the ever-evolving landscape of the insurance sector what do you think you know just purely based on opinion you know nothing where do you kind of see it going or yeah oh yeah the, the it's it's important not to focus you know on on all of the the, the negatives here just important to stress that it's important to do it well yeah. in a thoughtful way and yeah. responsible way. Um, the, the positives, I mean, overwhelmingly, this will be a huge efficiency gain across economic sectors, across industries. Insurance is not any different. Um, efficiency gains always lead to, um, you know, increased productivity. They always, uh, they always lead to change too. And some of that is displacement or changes in jobs. Um, you know, so take, take the good with the bad, but that's been ever since, you know, the industrial revolution, that's, that's how it has worked. Right. And, uh, this, this will be no different. It's, it's a little faster this time. It feels a little different too, because, um, some of the, um, change is happening quickly and it's happening in different pockets, I would say, in different rates. And so if I was a graphic designer, I really have to change what I'm, what I'm doing now because I'm competing against a free image generator, at, you know, in some ways, right? So how, how do we ourselves as a graphic designer increase productivity, uh, increase the, the quality of the product and, and use those tools. And, and so there's, there's a lot of change in insurance specifically. Um, we're seeing a, a lot of potential around, um, what would, what would be traditionally a lot of paperwork getting streamlined very, very quickly. And so data has to be in the right place to some degree, but it doesn't have to be perfect anymore, right? The, the, the data lake projects that got to 90% of the way there are probably good enough. Now, the folks who have data all over the place and can't access it at all, um, you know, they, they have a lot of catching up to do to get to a point where they can start to feed it in to, to these systems. But we're seeing, um, already we're seeing a lot of, uh, summarization tasks, uh, generation tasks that are, um, ideation through to, so by that, I mean, uh, starting things off and, and then having a human refine, um, a lot of rote work that has to be done, um, throughout claims processes, policy, um, policy generation processes, um, brainstorming on underwriting, uh, collecting of data. If I'm a commercial underwriter and I have all of these sources I have to sift through and, and 
all of this content to make a proper informed decision. Maybe I don't have to sift through so much anymore. I can rely on a first pass from, from one of these systems. Um, we're seeing a lot of multimodal work, which is exciting. And that will further increase the use cases here. So if I'm, you know, and there's one or two of these specialized systems that exist already, but, but this will become, I think, um, the norm. If, if I can take a picture of a car and uh, automatically bring up a first pass of an estimation of, you know, the parts that are needed, the, the hours, um, you know, there's a lot of reduction in, in work there to double check what's coming in as claims, um, what's coming in from the, the auto body shops, right? If I'm an auto body shop and I need to do predictions on, uh, on uh, the supply chain and what parts do I need to have in stock, that's going to become a lot easier. And so it's not just insurance companies, it's the insurance, the entire value chain, I think is going to get, get more efficient. And, um, you know, that's going to be a good thing for consumers at the end of the day, if we can, it will be lowering the price cost of insurance and the quality of a repair and the speed of repair when I have to go bring my car in. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, generally that's, that's all good things and exciting for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that kind of the thing that stands out since working in insurance for me the past year or so is that you know the systems are so desperate, antiquated. You know the, the third party data systems that are not talking to each other, and then the quality and the speed of, for example, like a claims process that affects the consumer is just awful. But amazingly enough, signing up to an insurance policy is super quick. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think... We, we um, make that easy, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the easiest pie there. Get them signed up, get them signed up, and then never hear from them for another five, six years until they want maybe a renewal. But uh, it comes to claims, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's make this as painful as possible. But, well, there's... You know what, though, Gavin? It's interesting. There's been studies, and we've seen... Um, examples of this in different regions of the world where actually a, a frictionless sign-up process can mm -hmm. be a bad thing. And um, by that, I mean, there's a selection of risk where you're getting, uh, for example, I'm looking for auto insurance and my traditional broker gave me a rate I'm not happy with because I'm a high risk. Anyone who's seen my driving say I'm a high risk. And so I'm getting this, this bad rate from my insurance broker and I decide to go online and I pick the easiest tool and I end up getting the best insurance rate very quickly. I, I've just self-selected as this unhappy, risky driver and some poor insurance carriers made it super easy for, for me to pick them as the the risk and we're seeing some pockets of that so there's something to be said for you know especially <laughs> on the the we've seen it on the commercial small small business side uh where there's this huge discrepancy between prices and it allows you to to find the best price and great for the the consumer but maybe it's been mispriced and and this uh, poor smb 
carriers taking all the bad risks and self-selecting there. So, so there, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge game in terms of, um, uh, ease of, uh, of use of some of these tools. Some of it might be intentional, some of it might not. And some, some of the frictions are, are there for a reason. Some of them are not. And I think AI we're seeing with these systems, the ability to pull together pieces of data. Um, we're now seeing it being multimodal, which is exciting, right? Taking pictures and combining. So, so some of these artificial frictions, friction points, will go away and, and that's exciting yeah yeah well to your point you know that was the that was my thinking you know we it just seems like it's going to who knows when you know years from now or, or months from now but it seems that that process from start to finish is really going to be all about quality and speeds um, and for the consumer yeah i think that's what we all want you know, and um, when I think back to my process of taking out insurance, it was an eight-week process drawn out over phone calls. You know, and um, which is just bizarre. You can go in and download a whatever a and, and banking. You can download an app and create a bank account or a savings account in like a matter of sixty seconds, and you put the information in yourself. Like, I hope we get to a point in the next year or two. You know, even quicker, we can just go in, download something, and and input that information ourselves. And not to eliminate human touch altogether, but to make sure the human touch is there for when it matters the most to the consumer, which, again, to that point, probably comes back to the claims or the renewal process or when they just want to ask a question rather than the human touch at the very beginning and then you never hear from them again, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I could probably talk about that process. <laughs> all to day. To totally agree. And I think a lot of this we're going to see the increase of what what we've called sort of exception-based processing, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, you can go through a happy path in a very automated way, whether that's for a claim or whether that's for signing up on a policy. And the more you can do that because you have a first pass done with perhaps a generative AI system looking through all of the content and, and you can increase the... Um, percentage of of these claims or policy renewals or whatever the process is if you can increase that percentage and have less exception based processing that's another huge area of efficiency gain and um, positive consumer um, interactions where it's a very fast rapid process so so there, there's a lot of potential there i think we're going to actually see some of the double checking work being done either first layer by these systems and second layer by humans or vice versa, yeah. even where instead of having, you know, in, in some industries like uh, banking compliance, they have these things called a four I review, right? And that's, yeah. it has to go through two sets of, of people. And increasingly, I don't see that being necessary. It, one of those two eyes, one of those pair of eyes might be chat GPT, right? Or, you know, this LLM system. And, yeah. and so that will speed things up greatly. Yeah. Well, look, I'm conscious of, uh, of your time. Um, it flies by um, always 
Um, especially when it's about, you know, specifically speaking about AI and where the space is going, you could I feel like we could chat about it all day. But as a kind of finishing note, what's um you know, what's next for you guys? Like the next you know, launching Armilla Assurance very recently off the back of the, you know, Armilla AI, clearly that, you know, product trigger was there very organically. Like what's what's next for you guys at Armilla? Is it more working on, you know, the product, releasing more products, scaling the team. Like, it seems like you're quite a a small but mighty team there. Um, like, what's what's next for you guys? Uh, we, we have a few initiatives ranging from, you know, we are working with standard bodies, uh, Phil Dawson on the team who heads our advisory and policy, right? And this can get quite technical, but you know, what, what are some of the standards? And that's important because um, we need to have a common language for when a model goes bad, how bad was it? Or mm. is a model going bad at all? And how can you prove it is or isn't? So that's, that's one initiative. We're focused on uh, making sure that the warranty work that we do can be done as well and as efficiently as possible. We're also focused on helping enterprises create risk management programs for AI. And so that requires that we're able to look at a wide range of these systems and do that well across that, that range. But the upside is huge. If you look at enterprises, it's a bit of a, a perfect storm for them today. If you look at their third-party risks, every, every software vendor is now incorporating AI into their solution. And these enterprises are looking at that saying, I have no idea how risky that is, right? Mm. On the one hand. On the other hand, they have the EU AI Act and regulation where they realize that there are risks associated with that software that now incorporates AI. And then on the third front, it's a bit of an arms race, right? So they see their peers, their competitors, all introducing Gen AI into their systems and processes. And so they feel like they have to move forward. And so they're really stuck in this weird rock and a hard place. If I'm a risk management team or a procurement team around how do we deal with that efficiently? And our data scientists are all busy working on internal projects. And so we're putting a lot of effort into helping those enterprises create programs, efficient programs, uh, be able to take take advantage of our warranties, be able to assess vendors efficiently. And we think that, that that's a really key area for these enterprises to, to focus on in the next few years as they're incorporating all of, all of these, these AI technologies, doing that in a thoughtful way and consistent way. So that's, that's, that's a big area of focus. And then the last area, of course, we're looking at some of the R and D around these things. So, explainability techniques and bias, uh, looking at bias. Uh, these are still challenging, fast evolving fields. So we're doing a lot of work there and th that's a lot of fun work. And the as the systems get more and more powerful, you need more and more of those safeguards or guardrails. And so that's that's that whole safety piece will will become key and, and, and things that we're working on right now hopefully will be a part of that to, to nudge the the industry in the right direction mm. 
Yeah, it certainly seems like you guys are a big component of uh, of moving that needle, particularly within insurance. And and I think you're absolutely right. You know, every insurance person in the industry that I come across always seems like, on the one hand, they're excited about AI, but they've always got you know their their head going over their shoulder to see who's doing what. Um, you know, always trying to stay ahead. And and the way that generative AI and AI just keeps evolving, it's at some point you've kind of just got to be content with what you're doing with it rather than constantly trying to to beat the next competitor and what they're doing because it's it's just moving at such a rapid rate but um i think for 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 yourself and, and the rest of the team all it's going to be a, a very kind of hopefully i'm sure it will be a bit busy um couple of years for you ahead um don't see it slowing down so yeah i guess on that dan um Thank you for, for joining me. It's been super interesting. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. No, thanks, Gavin. It's been great to be here with you. All right. Take care. Take care.